Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Live from the Vegas Strip, welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi. Judging from the plethora of TV shows and movies about the law, there's something about top lawyers that fascinate people. Today's guest is definitely one of the very best. You'll meet him in just a few minutes to discuss a number of topics, including the Elon Musk Twitter battle. Later on, your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com, is back for another extended visit. We've gotten so much feedback from you that you wanted more, we decided, well, of course. That's coming up later, but first, let's go to the courtroom. If you listen to the show, you know I'm a big fan of Perry Mason. I haven't met many Perry Masons yet, though. But today's guest, an attorney, and he's one of these guys that's almost always successful, and that makes you think of Perry Mason. His name is Jesse Bowling. He's a partner with Stein, Fam and Glass. And Jesse, it's great to have you on. How did you get into the law in the first place? Because you seem like just the stuff I've read about you, you really enjoy this. You know, I, thanks a lot for the great introduction, Steve. I appreciate it and happy to be here. You know, I, uh, I've always loved to help people, and that's what kind of started my adventure into the legal profession, is just this desire um, to, you know, help people out of tough spots and be there for them. And as it's evolved, you become a therapist for your clients, you know, obviously a legal advisor, and it's just been a great fit all the way. And I would say I had a very close family friend who was an attorney, and she kind of led me down the path um, and the other thing is, is as lawyers, we write a ton, and that's one thing I've always loved to do. And so I uh, just fell into it um, based on that uh, family friend's advice and guidance. And here I am today, a partner in a law firm, talking to you about uh, Elon Musk and his crazy Twitter story, uh, among other things. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into that in a second, but if people go ahead and um, take a look at what you've done, what's really cool about it is there's so much specialization in the world of law, and yet... You've worked in a number of different areas in terms of not only fraud actions and so forth, but you've been kind of on both sides of the aisle, too, where you're on for the people, but you've also been on for uh, these corporations, too. Is that kind of a thing where you enjoy the diversity of activities? You know, it's a great way of putting it, diversity. Uh, one cool thing about being a lawyer is that no case is the same. Right, you're not dealing with the the same situation over and over, and the the diverse background of cases that have come to me. It's really I, tough cases come my firm's way, and have come my way, and those tough cases just come in every shape and size with different clients who have different needs and wants. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it because you know after a couple of years of litigating a case and trying it, you move on to the next one, and it's a completely new fact pattern. So I would say a, a lot of lawyers out there specialize and really just do one type of niche thing, but I kind of embrace the chaos and uh, like to take whatever comes my way. 
Yeah, and you're not afraid of any background or any different names. I want to talk about a couple. I mean, there's there's a, a load, people, let me tell you, of different things this man has been involved with. But a couple that just jumped out at me that I wanted to ask. One was, you represented the MBA uh, consultant, a guy named Jonathan Giveney, uh, in terms of copyright infringement with broadcast copyrights. I'm a little familiar with that. That uh, is an interesting thing because so much of that, uh, you know, we always see that part about, hey, if you try to uh, mess with this, we'll go after you. I mean, anybody that's watched NFL football has seen the beginning where they say these are rights are protected. Was that something where uh, there was a lot of established uh, law and so forth? Or was that something kind of where you were kind of coming from the outside trying to do something different? Uh, great way of putting it. I, I, I also like to use the phrase that was a little bit of the wild, wild west when it comes to copyright law. It's not something that really been explored because, you know, in that case, my client was just taking small snippets and clips from copyrighted television programming and of course putting them together uh, in kind of a unique package to explain draft prospects, you know, current NBA players and things of that nature. And so it's not something that ever really like, was tested before. And so it was a unique case, interesting arguments on both sides, you know, a lot at stake. Um, and we were able to get a, an incredible outcome in a confidential settlement for everybody involved. And so that was, you know, I, I mean, that's the unique precipice of the law right there. Uh, there were no answers, but we were able to navigate those waters. Now, have you seen the law tighten up on that? Because I know sometimes just trying to do something where you want to pull a piece of music, for example, and that's a whole other world of copyright. But like on YouTube, it's automatically pulled. I mean, that's how tight they have it there. Has it gotten that way, or is there still, you know, there are guys like you that can go out there and go, eh, let's look at this a little differently. So really good point, you know, just uh, YouTube is kind of under a different set of rules for how it has to pull things off its uh, its platform. And, you know, it, just because they pull something off their platform doesn't mean it's right or wrong. They just have some requirements when somebody notifies them of what they have to do. And, if the, you know, one thing is it, civil litigation is, you know, generally about money, right? It's, you know, people mm-hmm. who are protecting their rights and they want to get paid. And so a lot of the, the minor issues that come up never get litigated. So you never get answered because, you know, one party just acquiesces or there's not enough money at stake to really go the uh, distance. But, uh, you know, at this point in time, it is an evolving area of the law. And I would say a lot of times the, the cases settle just because there's an economic advantage one way or the other. Uh, you know, with music, for example, if somebody's using a, a snippet on YouTube or another platform right that, maybe the artist comes in and says, hey, look, just pay me a really small royalty based on what you make, and then the case resolves. So a lot of it doesn't go the distance, but you're starting to see more and more cases get litigated just as we enter this new world where everything's at our fingertips on the Internet. So it's something we look at all the time and advise on all the time, but you'd be surprised that the number of cases don't you know, usually don't even make it to court, right? Um, right? Because they resolve beforehand. Well, I find civil litigation very interesting. I mean, I know everybody, you know, getting back to the Perry Mason thing, of course, it's always about murder and criminal defense and so forth. But it's even like one other area of music, which is you're seeing coming up now is, do people steal music? And from what I understand, I, I have spoken with somebody who was 
imminently involved in this whole Led Zeppelin thing with Stairway to Heaven, and was that really taken? And it sounds like it's taken. But music is kind of funny, right? Because then you get into things that uh, aren't in writing, and then you kind of have to go to intent and so forth, because two people could have the same melody in their head, right? I mean, how do you deal with that? Well, uh, you know, it's the intent element of copyright law. I always say that if you have two musical geniuses at the opposite ends of the country, and they come up with the same song without ever knowing about each other, there's no violation of copyright. So copyright in the word, there has to be copying, as you've alluded to. A lot of times, um, you know, those cases, you know, for example, Led Zeppelin, you know, intent is established just by the prevalence of the songs. Right. That issue, right? You know, would a jury believe that this person never heard this song or that song? A lot of times it's circumstantial like that. Other times it's clear cut and you have a... Uh, you know, a party, a defendant in a copyright action, and it's very clear that they knew about the plaintiff's work before they engaged on whatever work of art they uh, is being alleged infringed. And so that really comes down to the discovery phase, right? You know, first people point fingers at each other, uh, say things, but, uh, you know, once you get into litigation and discovery starts, you know, the email correspondence always tells the story. Back with more in just a moment from one of America's finest attorneys, Jesse Bowling. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. By wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers right away. If you're testing your blood sugar four or more times per day, injecting insulin three or more times per day, or using an insulin pump, call the Diabetic Health Hotline today and learn about the latest CGM technology. A CGM can immediately reduce pain. It's accurate, easy to use, and help you make better diabetes treatment decisions. And if you have Medicare, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Plus, get free shipping and we'll bill your insurance company for you. Call now to receive your new continuous glucose monitor at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Paid for by U.S. Medical Supply. Call 800-273-2295. That's 800-273-2295. Again, 800-273-2295. That's 800-273-2295. Boy, man, I had a rough night's sleep. Boy, I got a letter from the IRS yesterday and I I just couldn't sleep. Man, I'm dying here. Somebody help me. IRS problems affect more than just your finances. If you're ready to take back control of your life and you owe more than $10,000, you need to call the tax doctor. Their expert staff can immediately protect you from the IRS and state collectors and get you the best possible tax settlement guaranteed. The IRS has recently released new programs geared in helping struggling taxpayers, where you may qualify to settle your tax debt and wipe out up to 85% or more of what you currently owe. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call the tax doctor right now. See if you qualify to pay less. 
Call 800-511-6983. That's 800-511-6983. Again, 800-511-6983. That's 800-511-6983. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to attorney Jesse Bowling, whose achievements range from obtaining quick confidential settlements to litigating highly complex cases through trial. Right. We're, we're creatures of uh, communication now, and communications are at, our, you know, the ability to communicate at our fingertip. And so... You know, you get somebody's emails and you see where, you know, who they sent what about this piece of uh, artwork or music that's at issue, and usually it tells the story right there. Well, you mentioned very clear, and that kind of jumps out because I guess there is a possibility that somebody could be walking somewhere and they hear some music, they don't think anything of it, and they move on, and then later on when they're trying to think of something, how much of that is a direct uh, is a direct steal? Like you said, copy, and I guess that's the whole part about very clear, and that's the, the big part where you want to hire the right attorney, depending on what side of uh, the trial you're at. Yeah, you no, know, good point. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, it, it's all, it, it comes in the case you just mentioned right there, it'd be circumstantial. So I'd be sitting in front of a jury in a federal courthouse if I was on the defense side saying, hey, there's no evidence that, you know, my client ever heard this song and the other side, if they're doing their job, would point to, you know, the prevalent, hey, look, my my client's song, the plaintiff who got ripped off here, it's heard everywhere. So, you know, the other side, this defendant admitted that they were walking around a, a Barnes and Noble or a grocery store. Yeah. You know, my client's song gets played in that, so he must have known or she must have known. So an interesting point and it's important you argue those things in front of the jury and a lot of times the jury they they go with their who they believe obviously right of who they feel like will be vindicated when things are said and done and that comes a lot it comes down to both the client and you know how they uh they do on the stand and it also comes down to the lawyer um and having credibility with them and so a lot of times you know in an uncertain situation those are the two most important factors well, Jesse, this is why we have you on, because you make something that's very, can be very complex, nice and clear to people, people get it, and that's why we wanted to talk with you about this Elon Musk thing. So let's talk a little about that. We all know he was going to buy Twitter, now maybe he's not. Kind of run us through the legal process in that, because I hear he can lose a lot of money, but he obviously, to a guy like him, it's all relative. What's a lot of money versus a lot of money? Kind of walk us through that, if you would. That's a great point, and I think a, a starting off fact is you know, today, roughly, Elon Musk, the wealthiest man in the world, is worth $271 billion. And I think you made an important point there about you got to put it into context. And originally, his plan was to buy Twitter for $44 billion. So, you know, a pretty penny for just about everybody in the world except for Elon in this particular situation. And you know, I think the issue with Twitter and Elon, I always look at these things and I try to figure out what is really at stake here, right? Is it Twitter? Is it, you know, their public persona? Um, and the answer is all of the above, but I think the most important asset at stake here is actually Tesla. And if you look at Tesla, it kind of explains what happened here. So, you know, I'll give you a few dates. 
April 13th, right, Elon Musk texts his offer to Twitter. $44 billion, he uses the $54.20 per share. You know, he's got to get that 420 in there. <laughs> and, you know, agrees to basically buy Twitter, and ultimately the contract they signed um, had Elon buying it in taking the company private, meaning it would be delisted from the stock exchange and Elon would own it and ostensibly clean it up and uh, maybe bring it back public, maybe not. Um, and that was a premium at the time. The current stock price was probably about $10 less than that, a little less than that. So he was willing to pay a premium. And you know, the important thing is just how quickly that transaction closed. They closed in two weeks. The, the agreement at issue here was, clo- uh, was signed on April 25th. And that quick close means that Elon really wanted to buy the company as is, right? I, I don't think this, you know, a lot of commenters and media people have said maybe he was just, you know, engaging in a prank or wasn't serious, but that quick close in the terms of the contract make it seem like Elon wanted to buy it right away. And I think where he got caught up is after that, um, you know, the tech shares just dropped dramatically, both Twitter and Tesla. And I think that Tesla part is the important thing to look at. Right. And so, you know, Tesla, uh, which is Elon's primary source of wealth, his uh, shares in that company were worth about $180 million when he made the offer, mm-hmm. and it dropped down to $118 million uh, on May 24th, about a month later, when Musk start try- started trying to pull out of the deal. And, you know, the, the reason I think Elon ended up getting out of the deal is because his control of Tesla uh, was at stake. He had to, or else he could potentially lose control of Tesla if he bought Twitter. The way to look at this is the $44 billion that Elon Musk needed to buy Tesla was a combination of his own money, but a lot of financing. And those financiers, in order for Elon to buy it, they put up his Tesla stock as collateral. And the way it works um, with corporate contracts in this realm and loan transactions is that collateral isn't dollar to dollar. So if I'm trying to buy $44 billion, you know, I, mm-hmm. I don't get to just put up $44 billion, uh, you know, dollars of stock. I have to put up twice or maybe even three times that. And so if you, if in order to buy Twitter, if you assume Elon was putting up $100 billion of his test stock, you know, that huge drop, right, should, you know, meant that he was putting up, you know, 80, 85% of his stock in the deal, and that left him vulnerable to other parties who might want to try to get in on Tesla if something happened to the Twitter deal, and he ended up losing all that money. And so I think Musk was in a situation where he had to pull out because of the drop in his stock value, and it just, you know, he couldn't mm-hmm. afford losing uh, his control of Tesla. And so the last point of it is, you know, how much of Tesla does Musk actually own, it's only 18% or maybe a little bit less now, but the corporate governance, rule, governance rules of Tesla give that 18% is effectively Elon Musk has a, has a Trump vote over everything, right? right? The, everything that is decided in the company, uh, it's a super majority vote. And so really, practically speaking, nothing happens unless Elon Musk votes for it. And if he loses half of that 18% or even more, which he was at potential risk for, he loses that veto power. And I think that's in the end why this all ended up going down, which is just an unfortunate set of circumstances yeah. for both Musk and Twitter, because they're, 
they're they're both uh, grasp, grasping now in this lawsuit. More with top attorney Jesse Bowling in just a few moments. I'd like to remind you that our own Mr. Big, who's also known as Mafia writer Wayne Klingman, along with lifelong Las Vegas historian Roger Gleasy, have written a new book, Like an Onion, Peel a Layer Away, Discover Even More Intrigue. And the book digs deep into the Vegas skim, a subject that many people are vaguely aware of, but have no idea to the extent that it reached. Like an Onion discusses who was involved in the skim, what properties were involved, how it worked, and answers the question, why did it all come apart? Go to Amazon.com and search for Like an Onion, written by Wayne Klingman and Roger Gleasy. And remember, check out everything about Mr. Big at MilwaukeeMob.com. He's got other books on crime and gambling, as well as some really cool merchandise. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, nationwide on the Talk Media Network. I'm Peter Pavone, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi, and I'm chatting with top flight lawyer Jesse Bowling. How good is Jesse? Well, his trial teams are undefeated. Not bad record, right? Obtaining verdicts and representations of plaintiffs and defendants that total more than $300 million in the aggregate. Yeah, and the thing Musk also brings, though, is he has a certain celebrity that very, very few people have in this world. What he says goes. I mean, he puts out a tweet on almost anything, and it can affect the market. It affects a lot of different things. So I'm sure Tesla, as as a company, sure as heck doesn't want him. It's not the same company without him having that type of control. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Musk is, you know, the most... I, I, we've never really had anybody out at, like him before. And when his stamp is on something, I mean, just, you know, just the fact that he offered to buy Twitter, I think Twitter's stock increased, you know, 24% just when he was trying to get involved. And he's one of those rare people, maybe the only person that could do that. It's an incredibly good point. And yeah, like I said, you know, Tesla is his baby. I mean, that is the, the key to all the things that he wants to do. And Twitter is a side project. Let's be honest here. Right. I mean, going going to Mars, building environmentally friendly, uh, amazing electric cars. That's that's Musk's game. Twitter was going to be a side project, and so he just there's just no way he's going to risk those types of assets to you know buy Twitter and help fix it as a side project. Absolutely. Well, you think he's pretty genuine in terms of uh, his importance of free speech and so forth, right? I mean, that was really. I mean, aside from this, you know, kind of the attention grabbing, it also was a thing where he felt, and he's probably right, that if that's supposed to be the town square, it's kind of lost a little bit of that, you know. And and he was, and, and but maybe by him just drawing attention to it, is is good. If nothing happens, it'll still be good because at least he drew attention to it. Yeah, and uh, I, I agree with you on that. The town square aspect, he brought a lot of notice to it. He brought a, not a, a lot of notice to the fact that, you know, it looks like a lot more users 
um, of Twitter or bots than maybe we thought before, potentially. Mm-hmm. That hasn't been adjudicated yet, but he brought that up. And I, I think those are important things. The one thing I would say about Musk is whether he knew it or not, um, you know, he's got himself in a predicament now. And we, we've known Musk, you know, he's a gambler, but this is one of the first instances where he's gambling with his own money, right? right. A lot of investors have put a lot of money into Musk, and he's always benefited from him, but this is the first time where he really went out on a limb with his own personal wealth. And, you know, look, he, it, the, it, the, if anybody can handle a curveball, Musk can. But, you know, after he signed this agreement on April 25th, if you look at the terms, it's pretty clear he was ready to buy this thing. And then over the last two months, everything's kind of turned on him. Well, last question for you then. Uh, you know, you're a winner. There's no question about it. You're not afraid of things like that. How do you like to have to work with a guy like a Musk or somebody with that kind of personality? Do you, do you like it as a challenge or as, boy, does that make your job harder or is it both? So I would say everything, everything in this business is a challenge and client relationships are part of it. And maybe the hardest part of my job on a day-to-day basis is you know, advising my clients, telling them what I think from the legal ramifications, but also, you know, backing them up even if I don't agree with their decision. And I think once you kind of take a step back and realize with an individual like Musk and other high net worth individuals that I uh, represent, you know, there there is a certain ego involved. They're, they're all geniuses in their own way. And sometimes you just got to advise and write it out. It is it can be tough, but if you just believe in your clients, which I always do, uh, it makes things a lot easier. And certainly Elon's a guy that you know we can believe in, given his track record. No question about it. Well, Jesse, this was a real pleasure. If people want to follow you, where's the best way for them to do it? Well, I recommend if they uh, want to check me out, uh, LinkedIn, Jesse Bowling, and it's on Sam and Glass is uh, the best way to look me up and kind of see what I've been doing. Our firm has a website. If you just Google it, I'm also on there, and you can contact me uh, via email. That's probably the best way to find me on the Internet. Well, if you can afford him, this is the guy you want. <laughs> Jesse, it was great having you on today. It was a really good conversation. Appreciate it, Steve. From the best in law, let's now move to the best in reporting Vegas news. We are back with the great Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. One of the things we were talking about last time was about all the casino action and so forth. And you had something that I really wanted to talk with you about, and I think it's a great way to lead off this show. And that is that you say casinos all have genders. Now, you know, in the real world out here, you can't say he, she. There's a million different things. You have to be very careful. You say that isn't the case when you're talking about casinos in uh, Vegas. Well, so what's a male casino, then? We'll start with that. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I guess the differentiator would be, you know, when you refer to a casino, you, you sometimes will call her, like, you know, that old girl. Like, Four Queens is always going to be that old girl. Uh, and, you know, there's always going to be ones where you can't really easily figure it out, but a lot of times it just lends itself to being a certain gender. Um, so, you you know, you go down the strip, Paris is feminine. Yeah. Caesar's Palace is masculine. You know, I there's no hard and fast rule. And some, I, I'd be hard-pressed to tell you. How about the Cosmopolitan? What would you do anyway. that? Female? Uh, I, yeah, I feel like the Cosmo is feminine. Um, it, and it probably just has to do with chandelier bar because... That's a very pretty 
it's it's eye popping, but it's very feminine. And as you walk in, there's a giant red shoe that you can pose with a high heel shoe. So I don't know. There's just certain aspects of the casino that kind of like the outstanding features of that of that casino. Uh, a lot of the older ones feel like gals to me. I, th- I think you can still say gal. So something like flamingo still feels feminine. Uh, then there's just kind of the gender neutral places like Link. I don't know if Link is male, female, whatever. But I but pretty much any place uh, that has kind of a reputation for like Circa, you would think would be feminine, but it's very masculine. It's a sausage fest there because of the sports. <laughs> Big sports, um, right? Exactly. And, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. It's it's very arbitrary. It's just another way of you know occupying yourself and talking about Vegas without, yeah, absolutely. without any deep understanding of, you know, gender bias or gender. So, okay. so, so here's a new one. Resorts World. Where, where did that fall in? Uh, well, I think the issue with Resorts World is, is a, this is emblematic of some of the criticism it has taken because people don't think it has a ton of character. It's very opulent and beautiful, but you don't get a real vibe one way or the other. So uh, I, if I have to designate, I'm going to say Resorts World is masculine. Oh, okay. And then <laughs> the Venetian across the street, sort of. Yeah, Venetian, feminine. Uh, you know, when kind of a, it has a feminine vibe to it. That one's complicated. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> More with Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com in just a moment. Over 100,000 followers get their Vegas news, opinions, and wild speculation at VitalVegas.com. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. Are you being audited and do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Is the IRS threatening to take more of your money? Don't fight the IRS alone. The tax doctor is here to help you negotiate a lower tax bill. The IRS can freeze your assets and seize your bank accounts. But you can stop these IRS actions. The tax doctor will fight for you using industry secrets that can stop any IRS actions, eliminate penalties and interest, and reduce your past tax bill. So you pay the IRS less. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call the tax doctor now for a free IRS audit emergency review. Call 800-515-4956. That's 800-515-4956. Again, 800-515-4956. That's 800-515-4956. Have you written a book? You can become a published author with Dorrance Publishing, the nation's oldest publishing services company. Countless authors have trusted Dorrance for nearly a 100 years to bring their book to the market. Our professional team will edit your text, design your book pages, and create an appealing, eye-catching custom cover. Plus, our authors benefit from a custom book promotion marketing campaign that makes your book available where people buy books, like Amazon and brick-and-mortar bookstores. So make this free call right now to claim your 
your free author's guide to publishing. Don't wait another day. Take one step closer to realizing your dream of becoming a published author and seeing your name in print. You've already written a book, so the next thing to do is make this free call right now to Dorn's Publishing and get your free guide to publishing. Call right now. Call 800-923-8625. That's 800-923-8625. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps. We are chatting with your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. I, I heard one that you like that I had not heard of, and uh, you say it's the best Las Vegas restaurant that you haven't been to yet, talking about all your many listeners and readers and so forth. Harlow Steakhouse, where is it and why is it so good? Well, I, uh, I feel embarrassed because I'm supposed to be on top of this, but I, I mostly write stuff for visitors, for tourists, and right. this place is off the strip. It is in downtown Summerlin. 10 to 15 minutes west of the Strip. And apparently, this place opened nine months ago, and I finally just went with a friend. Absolutely, I'm going to say it could be the best steakhouse in Las Vegas. It was just absolutely fantastic. Every dish was just unbelievably good. Uh, And it it wasn't just steak. It was many other things. It was the desserts. It was just the bread alone, destination bread. I just really liked it. It's people with a lot of restaurant experience here in town. The, The the GM like, came up to the table and he carved the steak and he just, he's worked everywhere at all the best restaurants in town and has somehow ended up in downtown Summerlin. And it's the place, the exterior is not much to look at, but once you're inside, it is just one delightful thing after another. So if you're up for exploring or an adventure, Harlow is definitely a spot to check out. You know, Vegas is that way, right? Especially when it comes to food. People love to eat, and you'll never run out of places between downtown and the Strip. You'll never run out. But there are, like you say, Summerlin, out in Henderson. There's, I think it's Spring Mountain Road. Yes. There's all sorts yeah, of like restaurants. Yeah, Chinatown. If somebody's coming in there, and of course they can go to vitalvegas.com. That's the first place to look, I'm, I'm sure. If they listen to the show, they have some ideas. But is there, um, you know, do you ask the cabbies uh, or the Uber drivers, or is it a concierge thing? Who are the best people to really turn you on to a place that maybe you don't know about? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting because everybody's got their opinion, right? So you've got kind of these one-off recommendations. Folks like me, I'm not a foodie. The people who are foodies, you know, you don't know if their tastes are the same as yours. You don't know if they're, you know, so t- I tend to go to this new app. I have no affiliation with it, although I was asked for my opinion to be included in the app, but it's called Neon Feast. Uh, And it's done by a former uh, food writer uh, at the Las Vegas Review Journal who's no longer with them, but he started this app. And rather than just him expressing his opinion like I do, he went around town to chefs and food writers and foodies and people like me who say they're not foodies, but who I know what I like. Uh, So I use that app and kind of use it to explore new things or use it to see, you kind of want to see what the people who are knowledgeable about the subject matter say about it. So if you can't come to my blog, it's one person's opinion and often wrong. Uh, I go to this app and it, it helps out a lot. It's a free app. 
Well, that's terrific. Another place I'm kind of excited about is Red Rock, which I like Red Rock. It's, it's off the beaten path a bit, but I like it. But I understand they're going to have a Lotus of Siam, which is a great restaurant. I don't know about that one, but the, the original one was considered, I mean, people from Thailand used to try to go there. So I, I know that's a big, big favorite. Yeah, I, I finally uh, got a rumor right. Um, I shared this about a year ago, Lotus of Siam, and nobody believed it because Red Rock Resort is, again, it's 10, 15 minutes it's west of the Strip, uh, so it's more of a local's place, but I had heard that Lotus of Siam was, was going to expand there, and it really is. It is not just a great restaurant for Vegas. It's a great restaurant in the world. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people love the original location or locations, and uh, so it was great to hear it was going to come into the, into the suburbs. It's really just the best, you know, the best of its kind, and that was very exciting. And, they, and Red Rock also announced some other new offerings, a Greek restaurant, and new bars. There's getting a new. They just uh, opened a new high limit lounge to, for table games. Then they're going to open a high limit slot room. So I'm going to be spending a lot more time at, at uh, Red Rock. Let's put it that way. One other thing you forgot was an adults only pool. What is an adults only pool? I mean, is it just something where literally, uh, sorry, if you're under 18, you can't come in, or is there more going on there, or what? <laughs> no, I I actually was poking around about that because when you hear adults only, it sounds topless, but I don't think that's the case. I just think it means no kids in the case of Red Rock. There are topless pools here in, here in town, but like Circa is an adults-only pool too, but there's no toplessness, unfortunately. Well, one of the sadder things is watching uh, somebody who's way past those days sitting there leering at some uh, somebody uh, 40 or 50 years uh, his junior. I always think that's kind of sad. So, uh... Well, that's me, so thanks a lot. <laughs> Sorry one of the about those few joys I get in life. <laughs> <laughs> Don't didn't mean to call you out there. <laughs> well, what's, one last thing we want to talk about is entertainment, and there's some things. First of all, you are like the world authority on Adele now. So uh, finally, <laughs> the new residency. Any more? Di- the date's coming out. It's at Caesars, right? And that's coming up real soon. Yep, uh, I I had a weird feeling that they, you know it's one of those strange things because she has acknowledged that it was pretty traumatic for her to have to cancel. And I had a feeling it was just, she was surprised by her own show. And it was because she was not very hands-on during the rehearsal process. So she shows up in, in, uh, in Vegas, goes to Caesar's palace. And she's just like, I can't do the show that I'm being expected to participate in. So she made a really like financially, you know, challenging and, and just her own reputation. It was challenging for her personally to push that off. So now we're, we're back in the game. Uh, the folks, they really, uh, I don't know. I, w- I wasn't thrilled that they treated those ticket buyers so poorly because if they, because they postponed, they didn't have to refund the tickets. Uh, so a lot of people had thousands of dollars tied up in tickets, but she's coming back. I forget the exact dates, but you can check online. It is in September. I think all will be forgiven if she just cranks out some shows. It's a pretty heavy schedule, yeah. uh, but I think she needs to get it done because I have predicted she will be pregnant next year, at which point she will not be doing shows. So you got to see her while you can see her. And uh, a lot of those tickets were already sold. So I think they're coming out of the gate strong. It's going to be a big moneymaker. Caesar stuck with her throughout the whole PR debacle. And it, you know, there was a reason because they're going to be making money hand over fist uh, when this comes to pass. You know, Scott, now you're moving into a whole other world. You're going to start predicting pregnancies. I, I got to tell you, if you pull that one off, I am impressed. <laughs> well, if if, uh, if her fiancé slash future husband can't handle that, I'm going to make sure that my prediction is right. That's the kind of sacrifice I'm willing to make <laughs> to get some scoop. You care that much. Okay. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, when you talk about residencies, 
and you had a thing in there that Bruno Mars played a surprise show at Cosmos Barbershop. And that's the kind of thing I think people get excited about. I'm thinking of her, but you know, like Lady Gaga going to play somewhere in a piano bar somewhere. Is that something that can make Vegas special? And really, for the person that does it, the entertainer that does it, there's something that people just want to be a part of it. They, 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 they don't mind paying god-awful amounts of money, in some cases, to go see these shows because it just makes it extra special. Yeah, I mean, there, there really are kind of uh, that mystique of a drop-in, say, for example. Like, that goes back to the days of the Rat Pack where, you know, not everybody was it, – it was a Frank Sinatra show. But you knew who was going to show up, and right. that turns it into a party. And so these folks that were at the barbershop, uh, I think that was the me- you know, members of the media were there, so I have a feeling they knew beforehand. But to have Bruno Mars just have a red solo cup and be singing Sting and, and all these covers, like that is a really remarkable. And this guy is just so talented that that made that night special for everybody that, that was in earshot of it. And, um, you know, those, those are the kind of things that are genuinely, you can say, that's only in Vegas. Um, because that entertainer has residency here. You don't know what they're doing after, before or after their show. And I, I completely have seen many stories where that, you know, Katy Perry will be over, she'll be doing her show, and then now you see her playing blackjack after for a half hour or something. You know, it's, yeah. it's those kind of encounters, it really is a chance to rub elbows. And, and Bruno Mars sat down at a table. He's talking to folks that were there. So that's, you know, you, you can buy a ticket to a concert, but having that kind of opportunity, that's rare and and very special. Even if you don't even, if you're not the biggest Bruno Mars fan, that's still cool that, that the star would come and, and uh, kind of schmooze the guests. Thanks, Scott. Make sure to visit Scott every day at VitalVegas.com for the latest on all Vegas happenings. And if you got any questions or comments for Scott, drop him a line at Scott at VitalVegas.com. Please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manchi reminding you, Vegas never sleeps. Oh, Vegas, here we go! Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airlines travel it's that easy so call now and start packing call right now 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 that's 800-267-1806